Welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. The book of Jonah. There was a, a, it was a cold and dreary Christmas evening in, in Salem, Winston-Salem in America a number of years ago, about four or five years ago. And this church of about 300 was celebrating its Christmas season, had, had a Christmas function on. And one of the ladies in the church noticed down the hallway that there was like a, a thumping on the doors. Someone was trying to get out of the church. And so she ran down the hall and there was a two-year-old boy there just crying like his heart was about to break. And so she was a bit unsure what was going on and, and checked with the people and it was no one's child. And then she noticed out of the window that there was like an old model car that had driven off. And she realised immediately what had happened. That child had been abandoned. And just doing a little bit of research in, in, in regard to this, it's not actually as uncommon as you think of, of young children or babies being dropped off at churches. The season makes it partic- uh, particularly pertinent, though, and so what happened was that the media got involved, they um, published the, the picture in the paper and so on and so on. I can't report actually what the end of the story was, but the newspaper in the morning came up with this headline, which, I, which, which broke my heart. You know, It said, someone trusted the church last night and the church came through. Isn't that encouraging? Is that with people who get desperate in life, and I'm not bringing judgment here, but they get so torn and so worked up in themselves that they've got to do something drastic. How many people realise that person's not in their right mind at that time? But who would they trust? The church. You know, just talking to um, Pastor Josh yesterday just about the theme that that you're going to be running into, it's all about, um, it's about being outwardly focused, basically. You're going to enter into a season of ministry in regards to community service, outward focus, and so I, I've put some thoughts together regarding that and I kind of needed a narrative and so I picked the character in the Bible and the narrative and the setting in the Bible that I kind of felt best sums this up. And I've got to be honest with you, I've always had a bit of a, a bit of a thing in my head that when I get to heaven, obviously we're going to fall down around the throne and worship Jesus. We're going to catch up with lost loved ones. Of all, of all the people in the Bible that I want to meet, this is the guy that intrigues me the most. Just he's seen the most powerful revival the world has ever seen. He, he, he just hit the jackpot and was still really discouraged about it. But, you know, if we're going to be outward folk, going to be the kind of church and the kind of community that God has called us to be, then we've got to, through that, catch the heart of God. You somehow have to find and catch God's heart on this. So Jonah is a minor prophet. Now, when you hear that frame, minor prophet, don't think minor in terms of impact. It's just called minor prophet because of the length of the book, not in terms of the power of the message. Jonah, he's been described as the book we're familiar with, but nobody reads. So if I can, if you can move to the next slide. Um, 
the book of Jonah is around somewhere, just draw this timeline in your mind, okay? I like to give you a bit of a historical context. So 790 to 760 BC, it's during this period of time, just prior to the prophets Amos and um, uh, Hosea and during the reign of Jeroboam II. So during this period, as you know, the kingdom, uh, Israel was divided into two, the northern and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom at this point, it was probably their most prosperous period. Things are looking well economically, but, you know, and the, and the reality is at this particular point in time, the Assyrian Empire, in particular Nineveh, had been in decline for about 30 to 40 years. But I'm saying this, why? Because there's this, there's this resentment, there's this bitterness that Jonah is still feeling in his heart towards him. And so we see the origins of this, of Nineveh in Genesis chapter 10, 11. It's the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It, it sits along the eastern bank of the Tigris River. You know, Nineveh was the largest city of the ancient world. It's actually larger than Babylon in terms of its size. It's 60 miles in circumference. Its walls were about 100 feet high. You could race uh, three chariots abroad those walls. It had something like 1,500 towers and a population of anywhere up to a million people. People whom God loved. Israel's sworn enemy, yet God loved them. Enough to send his wayward and his reluctant prophet to warn of impending judgment if they didn't repent. So how many people have ever, ever, ever seen the film called Finding Neverland? Well, today, this morning, you've got Finding Nineveh. So let's begin and look into the Word of God. Let's read verses 1 to 3. Just follow along with me. Otherwise, if you don't have your Bible or reading device... You can see it on the screen. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board and, and to go with him to Tarshish and from the presence of the Lord. Father, help us this morning. Give us teachable hearts, open spirits to receive all that you want to say and minister to us and through us in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm thinking, you read this story, you think, well, it's a clear-cut call that God has given him, but he doesn't do it. He gets on a boat. <laughs> and uh, in, in his mind, we ask ourselves, why is he doing this? Possibly he thinks, if I change the geography... It'll get rid of the internal angst that I'm experiencing in my heart. Possibly if I get off the scene, God will leave me alone. Maybe, maybe that's the thought process that, he, that, that, that he's got in his head. And I'll be completely honest with you and why I preach a message like this. You might be looking at me. I, you know what I believe, saints? I believe there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. And you're smiling, oh, no, not me. <laughs> yeah, you. And if you haven't had that time where you've had a confrontation with your own self-will, it's coming. And we are prone to a strayed heart. The church father Augustine said, You have made us, O Lord, for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. And that is so true because there's a restlessness today in and out of the church. You feel it in the, you feel it in the community. People, they're on shaky ground. They're not sure what to believe. They're not sure who to believe. 
And it's the same with the church. You know, they're kind of, we're, we're getting mixed messages. We're kind of a bit confused. What shall we say? What, you know, and there's this kind of zeitgeist. Zeitgeist literally just means spirit of the age. And I thought about that in preparing this because Paul had a bit of a glimpse into the future. He, and, he, and he penned these words. He said, understand this. He said with prophetic insight, in the last days there'll be times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, Proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good. It's not just one of those distinctions, it's all of them describe the society that you and I find ourselves in today. So we look, we come back to Jonah, he's checked out physically... But I want you to see, and if we get time, we'll look at it. If we don't, we won't. But he's also checked out emotionally and spiritually as well. In short, he's a picture of a saint looking for a way out. Anyone else ever felt like that? Maybe it's just me. All right, Lord, I'm preaching to myself this morning. <laughs> And that's a great conundrum because what our communities need is Christians more than ever who will engage and be engaged and influence and not withdraw into, the, into isolation. We lose our salt and our light grows dim and it gets hard at times. You know, can we handle that kind of honesty? When I say saltier and brighter, I don't mean salty. Okay, he's salty. No, no, I'm talking about our diffusing influence. You know, salt permeates. It acts as a preservative, and that's what God has called you and I to be. A life that is growing spiritually loves the unlovely and pursues them. And so for Jonah, these were the unlovely. It was a group of violent, immoral pagans, and in his mind, he hasn't let go. Now, it's generally regarded by scholars, just want to move to that next slide there, that the Assyrian Empire, in its pinnacle, had been in a state, even though it had been in a state of decline, um, there'd never been a more bloodthirsty and cruel nation. And it never brought as much persecution to Israel as what these people did. And I'm not going to profane um, your ears this morning and give you detailed descriptions, but any sort of study of history in antiquity and history will show you they're very violent people. And it's understandable from a natural point of view why this Israeli prophet wouldn't want to go there. But, you know, we live in this six by four snapshot, don't we? We've got this small picture. This is my life. This is how feeding God sees way outside of that six by four. God sees the big picture. God sees souls that need redeeming. When God looks at the military conflicts throughout the world, you know, yeah, there is a right and a wrong side, but he sees all hearts that are away from him. He sees all hearts that need to be restored to him. And here we've got the most, and if you read in further in, in Jonah chapter 3, if we get time, we'll do it, but the most unlikely candidate, a pagan king, he received Yahweh's mercy, he received God's mercy, and the most likely candidate, Jonah, God's prophet, rejected it. That's what I mean about the results are up to God. We live in this little six by four, but God sees a big picture. Cities and communities matter to God. They're political, they're economic. They're, 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 uh, they're places where we derive income, where we, where we can trade and we can interact. They're cultural centres. They produce a way of life. 
their religious centres. Nineveh was a centre of worship. The Ninevites worshipped along with Ishtar, the idol Dagon. And Dagon, if you can see a picture that he was part man and part fish. The Assyrian fish goddess Nosh was the chief de uh, deity of Nineveh as well. And so if you know the story of Jonah, can you see the irony in this? I think God's got a sense of humour. So Nineveh, if I can just help you here, just with the, um, the location of it, if you just want to move to the next slide, thank you. Um, is that working? There it is. So the, he's in Joppa. So Nineveh is northern Iraq. Okay, if, you want a, you know, if you want a general location where it is, it's in northern Iraq. And Tarshish is on the west coast of Spain. So I'm saying this to give you a bit of context when you're reading the book. It's not like, well, I'm just going to deviate on the way and I'll eventually get to Nineveh or I'm just going to go a little bit around it. He goes a complete 180. You couldn't, you couldn't have picked a city more further away than what Jonah did. The portrait of a saint looking for a way out. God is saying, I want you in the Middle East. And Jonah's saying, well, look, I prefer the Mediterranean. Your mission, should you choose to accept? You know, Tom Cruise, he always accepts a mission. Be a pretty short movie, wouldn't it, if he said no. But Jonah said, no, I don't want it. I don't want the mission. I do not want to do what you've called me to do. See, what is your Nineveh this morning? Because we all have a Nineveh to reach. Can you find your Nineveh? What has God put you on the earth to do? There's a general sense of that because God has called us to be what? A people of his word? We're called to be conformed to the image of his son? That's general revelation as well. We're also called to evangelise our communities, make disciples of all nations. God has called you to do that. We're called to serve our communities as well. And that's interesting, you know, because it's, an, it's becoming a community that's becoming more and more hostile to our message. And uh, Garfield and I were talking about this this morning, and it, it, it's, it's this form of cultural Marxism. It's slowly eroding away at our ability to speak freely. And we're going to need some wisdom to navigate that. Our Nineveh may not look like what our Nineveh looked like 5, 10, 15 years ago. How are we going to respond to that? How are we going to res respond to that call to evangelise? Thomas Jefferson said, in matters of style, swim with the current. In matters of principle, stand like a rock. Can you stand like a rock this morning? Can there be an unwaveringness about your faith, a steadfastness about your faith? Let's talk quickly about mission because our mission also needs to be united. We've got to be on the same page. And you, you talk about there's the, the, the church large, the body corporate, the, the universal church, but there's also these local congregations and movements. And you, there's got to be uniformity with that. It's like if the church is going this way, there's always like someone who wants to kind of step out and do something else. We, we can't do what God has called us to do if we have that kind of attitude. That was the problem with the prodigal son, right? 
what happened was that when he wanted his inheritance, what was he saying? In essence, he was, in essence, he was saying, I don't want, I want to be free from the restraints of my father. I want to be independent of that. I want to take it and run. So our mission needs to be united. We need to be on the same page. Our message, our message sorry, needs to be clear. There's a picture. If you go to Germany today in the Wittenberg Church, how many people know what the Wittenberg Church is? It's the church where the door, where Martin Luther took his 95 protestations against the Catholic Church and he banged them up and nailed them to the door. Started the Reformation. And so you can see that picture in one of the altars there today and, and it was, it, it, it's uh, drawn by a guy called Lucas Cranach. Lucas Cranach was a personal friend of Martin Luther and he always painted him and his wife. His, him and his wife were actually in part of that crowd. But it was interesting what he captured here um, because what he wanted to highlight was the Bible and the cross because our primary aim was to point people to the cross through faith alone, justification, sola fida, Sola Scriptura, Scripture alone, and Sola Christus, Christ alone. So in summary, this is how Luther understood his preaching, his method, that it should be grounded in Scripture, pointed towards Christ and facing the people to put people in touch with salvation. You know what? Nothing's changed, saints. That's what, our jo that's what your mission is. Put people in touch with Jesus and his holy word. Build your faith upon that. Jesus tells us, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing, exactly. I think the problem with Jonah, to be truthful, is that he wanted to be God. He wanted the Ninevites to be judged. He wasn't counting on the repentance that he would see. So our message, it's got to be united, it's got to be clear, and our mandate has got to be practical as well as spiritual. In other words... There's got, to be, there's got to be faith with works. It was interesting last um, Saturday, I've had a busy last few weeks, but the, the church I attend, they do an outreach at the Wanneroo Show and uh, just to, to celebrate and, and point people to all the Christmas services similar to what you guys are doing here. And so I was one of the volunteers and I'm, I'm, I'm handing out flyers and I'm just... I come from a background where I did a lot of that. I, have, I think I've cleared out entire forests with the amount of tracks that I've handed out in my life. I've grabbed milk crates, put them down and stood up and started preaching. I've preached um, at train stations. I've done all kinds of evangelism that you could think of. But here I'm at, I'm at the Wanneroo Show, but it's been a few years since I've done it, so I'm, I'm talking to people and then there's little kids coming and what they had to do is they had to take a star and then they had to go and pick their favourite Christmas carol and put the star on their favourite Christmas carol. And so I've got a partner in crime, Vincent, my friend, and you know he's sort of bringing people in, in and there's a lot of kids coming and I'm handing out a lot of stars, giving little kids stars, and I'm thinking, how did my life come to this? How did... But you know what, this is the preaching, we still need to do that. I'm not against that, by the way. People still need to hear the gospel and we need to evangelise. But you also got to be sensitive to your community and your surroundings as well. And I gave an assurance, I said, I promise you I won't preach because it's just not the setting to do it at the Wanneroo show. And 
You know, I thought about that, and even last night with my wife, we're sitting there watching the news, and, and the Salvation Army have released this book, and this book, you know, it's got all these recipes that you can feed people for under $4 that they've put together, and it's just... You know, I thought someone... God has breathed that into someone. What a, what a wonderful idea that is. What a fantastic, practical idea. And then using our opening illustration, these are practical ways that we serve our community. And it's limitless, isn't it? What we can do, what we can achieve if, we'll have that, if we can catch God's heart in that area. So a message, it's got to be united, it's got to be clear, but it's got to be practical and spiritual as well. Which brings me to my next point. If we come back to our text here, is that straying hearts become hidden hearts. Or we go into hiding. Look at what verse 4 and 5 says. But the Lord sent out a great wind on the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship was about to be broken up. Then the mariners were afraid and every man cried out to his God and threw the cargo that was in the ship to lighten the load. But Jonah had gone down to the lowest parts of the ship and laid down and was fast asleep. You notice where Jonah went? And if you read the entire book, and you can probably do it in one setting, it's not that long, but you pick up this one word and get a highlighter and write the word down. Spot on. Verse 3, he went down the... First of all, first he goes down to Joppa. Then he goes down the ship. Verse 12, he goes down the sides. Then verse 17, he goes down to the gullet of the fish. Then you go into chapter 2, he goes down to the moorings or the bottoms of the mountains, which is the lowest part of the sea. And that's what happens when we walk away from God, isn't it? Our life has a way. This is, this is called consequence. Our life has a way of spiralling down. He turned his back on the light and darkness followed him. He turned his back on the light and darkness followed him. And that's what happens when we walk away from what God has called us to do. We do it a bit differently, you know. It's like when you get in trouble. I remember as a kid, what would you do if you knew you were wrong? That's it. In the cupboard, under the bed, out the back, wherever it was. Because you, you wanted to avoid that impending judgment. We go, this is part of our Adamic nature. You go back to the beginning. When Adam transgressed, what's the first thing he did? Adam, where, where are you? The insanity of thinking you can hide from a place that I created. But we'll try anyway. You know the other way we hide? We hide from God by getting busy for God. We run and run and run and we get more and more and more works. And in a sense, you don't have to stop and pause. God says, be still and know that I'm God, the psalmist cried. Because that would imply you'd have to stop, listen, be refreshed. But if you can just build your life up and get busy, 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 you can actually run from God. See, a flourishing life is a life that takes time to pause. And we just need to ask ourselves, what, you know, what are the things that are stealing our affections from the things that matter to God? What are, the, what are the idols on our throne of our heart that are so important, more important than people? And serving him. 
and I'm holding the sword to my own throat, saying, so I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm trying to be transparent. I'm not coming here as someone who's arrived and does all things right. I've lived this guy. I know him. And it's why I want to meet him. I get him. I get the struggles, but I also get the consequences well, and it's better to obey. Let me just close with this thought here. We've got a hidden heart, we've got a straying heart, but we need a repentant heart because God has a way of getting your attention, doesn't he? You see, the, you see in the Old Testament, they, had, they operated under what, they, uh, what we would call karmic systems. Karmic systems are like cause and effect. You do this, this happens. That was the whole theme of the book of Job and his friends. And I hear him preached and I, and I kind of shudder when I do that. They, these, these ungrateful, these, un, you know, these un, uh, unmerciful friends that he had, they were very intelligent men, right? They, they were thinking like men in antiquity. This is cause and effect. In Proverbs it says God controls the lot. The lot was a biblical means of hearing the voice of God. That's why you find out prior to Pentecost, how did they choose their 12th disciple? They cast lots. And again, I hear it preached from time to time that, oh, they should have prayed and fasted in the Holy Spirit. All I'm saying, this was a legitimate means in the Old Testament. And so we pick this up here as we read this text because there's, there's turmoil happening on the sea now and they're trying to figure out why. Which is a good question, isn't it? So the Bible says in verse 6, So the captain came to him and said to him, What do you mean, sleeper? Arise, call on your God. Perhaps your God will consider us so that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this trouble has come upon us. So now you have a bit of understanding why that's there. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, please tell us, for what cause is this trouble upon us and what is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country and, and, and what people are you? To them, I'm a Hebrew. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, and made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, why have you done this? For the men knew then that he had fled from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. It's at this point in our narrative, Jonah realises, okay, this is going global now because my actions, my self-will, my straying, my hidden, my prone heart, it's going to cost people their lives, along with their livelihood, but their lives more importantly. And these guys are going about to enter into eternity because I've disengaged to mission because I don't want to be involved. You know, when Adam sinned, his family got beat up over it. Getting quiet in here. And, and, you know, we can look at our society today when you've got absent parents, absent fathers. The children will pay the price for that. Half this gig, guys, is just hanging around. Just sticking to it. Sticking to the stuff. You see, what is the mark I'm making on the world. Am I making it easier from the sphere of my influence for people to live for God or am I more of a distraction? Am I a multiplier or am I a diminisher? Am I an encourager or a discourager? How do people feel when they leave your presence? See, Jonah's got a really redeeming quality about his life. 
And not many people pick this up on the story. You know, he gets called the reluctant prophet, the wayward prophet, and so on and so on. But just read this carefully in a new light with me, please. Read verse 11. Because he was repentant, he wanted to walk in truth. And they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may be calm for us? For the sea was growing more tempestuous. If you were asked by the mariners that question, what would you respond with? Keep rowing. Keep trying harder. Keep throwing more of your gear out. What did he say? He said to them, pick me up and throw me into the sea. And the sea will become like glass for you. Because I know this great tempest is because of me. That's powerful. That's someone willing to own their stuff. Jonah said, you know what, if you throw me overboard, the storm will cease. To the degree that I've let my life spin out of control is the degree of chaos that I've, that I've created around me. In other words, what's he saying? It's my fault. I'm the reason. I'm the man. We like to blame shift, don't we? Have you ever noticed in a marriage, if there's problems, it's always the other person's fault? Isn't that true? Lord, the husband you gave me, he never gets it right. Lord, the wife you gave me. We do this all the time. We blame shift. Someone wants to leave the church. Well, the church never showed me any love. Pastor never shook my hand. No one really cared about me. We know that's not true. You know that's not true. It's never because I want to sin. <laughs> Do you know, if we're going to be used in our capacity, we have, to reach a, we have to reach this point in our character where we can look at ourselves in the mirror and say, you know what, God, I've got some issues. And when the word is preached, Lord, I'm going to allow you to cleanse me. I'm going to allow you to give me the strength. Give me the, give me the, give me the, the honesty inside that I can come to a place where you life. You know, it was said of the Assyrians that they'd impale the severed heads of Judah's prophets on sticks outside of Nineveh. That may be one of the reasons he didn't want to go. But as I said, they'd been in decline. And the truth is probably more that he was feeling a lot of bitterness there. You know, at what point do we let that go? In our conduct, Psalms 51 verse 6, Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you shall make me to know wisdom. Proverbs 23, 23, Buy the truth and do not sell it. It will cost you something, but it will be liberating and unbinding for your heart. Jonah wouldn't live with the knowledge that others are going to suffer because of him. got you an ancient antiquity and thought, you know, there were these uh, half-bird, half-women group in, in Sirens, and we read about, you read about this in all kinds of different mythology, and um, don't go looking for it on the internet, by the way, because some of the, the visuals are not good, but the hero of the Odyssey, which again I'm, is mythology, I'm not preaching this as, as, as scripture, is Ulysses. And what would happen with, with, during the time of the Odyssey, the boats would, would, would sail around this point and the sirens would, would sing 
They're meant to have angelic voices and the thought was that the ships would hear the, would hear the siren's voice, be so allured and drawn to it that they'd end up crashing in the rocks and killing everyone. So there's this thing that Ulysses realised he had a weakness in this area and so what he got his sailors to do was bomb. So if you can, you can read about this in the Odyssey, basically he, he said to his seamen, you've got to take control of the boat and bind me to the mast because I know in myself when I hear that noise, I'm going to drive us towards those rocks. And so it's, they call this the Ulysses Pact. Businesses use it today and basically what it is, you shore up um, uh, like future actions. You lock away your future actions and don't let your desires run rampant in the moment. And so they call that a Ulysses Pact. You know what I think some of us this morning could maybe make a bit of a Ulysses Pact. Are there areas in your life that you know you have a tendency to run rampant in? What measures will you take to lock that away? What form of accountability will you make? I'll be transparent. I was an evangelist for nine years. I went from church to church to church and most of the time I'm just staying in a hotel room at night. One particular night I'd finished preaching. I was tired and I turned something on and it, wasn't, it, it was not a godly thing. So I quickly turned it back off. And, it, and I struggled with it mentally. The next day I spoke to the pastor and I said to him, the next morning you pick me up, I just want you to ask me a question when I get in the car. And he said, what's that? He said, just say, how'd you go last night? He just, I think he kind of said, okay, I'll just do it, you know. And it broke straight away. Because that night... I knew in the morning a man of God is going to look me in the eye and say, how'd you go? That's the Ulysses Pact. Know yourself. Be disciplined. Jonah had this quality. God, I'm not going to let, I'm not going to let my desires run rampant. I'm not going to let other people perish for my waywardness. Proverbs 28.13 says, He that covereth his sins shall prosper, but whoso whoso confesseth and forsakes him shall have mercy. I'm looking for mercy. Amen. Let me just close with this thought quickly. Walking in truth and walking in empathy. Thomas Watson said, Be kind. Everyone you meet today is facing a very hard battle. You know you realise that? Because sometimes in the cut, the cut and thrust of the day and we're, we're doing things and we get busy, we don't often think, you know, the person you're talking to, you've got no idea what they're going through today. They could be really hurting inside. Just make that your default position. Let's just finish here with Jonah, chapter 1, 13, 17. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to return to the land, but they could not for the sea continue to grow more tempestuous against them. I like this because even if Jonah's confessed that and said, they said, nah, we've got more compassion for you than you have for the Ninevites. We're going to try and save your life. And they keep trying. It's like a picture of works versus grace, isn't it? God, we're just going to keep trying and maybe the judgment will cease. It won't cease until grace is offered up. That's a picture of the cross right there. 
You can keep striving and striving and striving, but until you bow your knee at the cross, you won't find that peace. But then verse 14, Therefore they cried out to the Lord and said, We pray, God, do not let us perish for this man's life and do not charge us with innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah, threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the Bible says, And the men feared the Lord exceedingly and offered a sacrifice to the Lord and took vows. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. You know, what I, find, what I find really ironic about the book of Jonah is that everyone obeys God. The wind, the sea, the heat, the gourd, the plant, the flower, the Ninevites, the mariner, the king, the slave. Everyone obeys God except Jonah. And we're the people of God. We're the ones who should be the first responders. But anyway... I was thinking about this because he, he, dis- he walks in truth and he does display empathy. He's got empathy for these men. And I want to sort of um, uh, contrast this because these, these mariners found freedom in letting, in letting Jonah go. And the Bible says earlier on in the narrative in chapter 1, they were crying out to their gods. Now they believe in the one true God. Fruitfulness has resulted because if, because he's walking, at least he's got truth. At least he can own his problems and he has empathy. There can be fruitfulness when we finally obey the Lord. I want to contrast him with another prophet here, um, Ezekiel. Because God commissioned Ezekiel in a similar way, but Ezekiel was to preach to his own people, not the Ninevites. We picked this up in chapter 3. The Spirit lifted me up, this is Ezekiel, and took me away, and I went in bitterness in the heat of my spirit. Then I came to the exiles at Tel at Abib, who lived by the river, and I sat where they sat, and I dwelt on seven days, and being stricken dumb, or if you've got another translation, I'll say I was. So the background and context to Ezekiel's prophetic message was that he was preaching to the uh, exiles in, in captivity. They'd been taken away into Babylon. And he's got a message, and he'll have messages of judgment for them as well, and restoration as well. But here's the difference between Ezekiel and Jonah. Ezekiel doesn't run away. He doesn't go there and start screaming at him. He doesn't get on a milk cart and start yelling at him. For two weeks, he listens to their mournful songs. He eats their lice-ridden food. He feels their heat, he feels their humiliation, they've lost everything, and the Bible says he sat where they sat. Do you want to be effective? Learn to sit where people sit. Learn to listen. Learn to have some empathy in your message. He was a a powerful prophet with a powerful prophetic message and a very powerful anointing. But before he did any of that, I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to sit with you. I want to feel your heart. I want to feel what it's like to sit where you sit. Drink your dirty water. Eat your crusty bread. You know, the Bible says they wept when they remembered Zion. Anguish of heart they would have felt. Before I preach to you, I want to feel that. I want to hear that. I'm not saying you've got to go and get yourself blind drunk and, and, and live in a you know, uh, 
some outrageous scandal to experience what it means to be a sinner. You don't need to do that. You just need to listen. You need to let the love of God shed abroad by the Holy Spirit fill your heart so you can catch God's heart. Are you with me? The Bible says Ezekiel was astonished. And when we keep our hearts on track, fruitfulness happens. Fruitfulness is born out of intimacy with Christ. How would your family, how would it look with unbound hearts? We don't have time. I've gone over time this morning. Chapter 2 deals with Jonah, his prayer at the bottom of the sea because he hits rock bottom. And sometimes we've got to God can get our attention. And then chapter 3, he preaches a message and then he sees everyone from the king to the least of them respond. But he's still bitter about it. It's interesting to me is that the book of Jonah and the book of Nahum are the only books of the Bible that end with a question. How's this thing going to, how is it going to play out? How is your Nineveh going to play out? You know, we have this revelation, God may well have saved Jonah from drowning, but he needed more than deliverance from not being able to hold his breath underwater. Sometimes we need deliverance from ourselves, don't we? Amen. So just in conclusion here, we're prone to stray. We all have a little bit of Jonah in us. Um, and read God's word as a mirror because it, it'll highlight these areas in our life. We all have a Nineveh to reach. The knowable, we know from God's word, we're called to obey it. And the not so knowable, the inner promptings of our spirit, God has called us to do those as well. Our message is united, it's clear, it's spiritual and practical. And if we're going to be effective and we're going to touch our communities, we're going to serve our communities, we're going to have, to bit of, we're going to have to a bit of humility here, aren't we? We're going to have to walk in truth before God and man and we're going to have to be able to stop blame shifting and owning our problems on someone else. Amen. And also we're going to walk in empathy. Let me just close with this one thing. People know if you care about them. They do. They can sniff you out. If there's, if there's falsehood, if there's cliche in what we're doing, they'll sniff you out. They'd know if you care. And the only way it's going to be, you've got to be able to catch God's heart. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.